0: Good morning. Greetings in Jesus' precious name today again, our risen Lord and Savior. Thank God for that, even though it's the time of celebrating his birth. And. I guess I'll apologize. I'm not going to bring you a message relating to the birth of Christ. Um, so I'm thankful that Seth kind of keyed us in there a little bit. Um, I am going to bring a message on the qualifications of a deacon. Since we're only 10 days away from voting, maybe it should have been given before, I'm not sure. Sometime, a couple months ago, I gave a message on uh, the responsibility, giving, uh, I guess you'd say, the job description of a deacon. But today, we'll talk about the qualifications. Before I do that, I would like to make a comment Maybe add a little bit to the open mic time. Um, if Earl wouldn't have been quite so hasty, I might have got up. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, <clears throat> yeah. I had uh, there's a there's a verse in Proverbs. <clears throat> it says this: "As cold waters to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country." Now. What I'm going to share isn't necessarily good news from a far country but it was good news from a people in a culture that I haven't had a lot of contact with in recent years. Yesterday I I um yesterday I had an interesting contact with uh, that uh I think was I think it was some of God's mysterious ways, I believe. Uh, I had a wood stove I wanted to sell, and I advertised it in the mailbox markets in Langster Farming, and I got a phone call from a gentleman who was interested in my wood stove, and he bought my wood stove, and he asked me if I can deliver the wood stove for a few extra dollars, and I said, sure, I can deliver the wood stove. I delivered the wood stove yesterday, and... Uh, I met a gentleman who uh, we engaged in conversation that uh, turned out to be about a, almost two hours in length, and uh, um, it was good news from a culture and a people that uh, was tremendously encouraging to me. Uh, he was a he was a Team Mennonite man. He is a man who's older than myself. And uh, in the few short uh, hours that we had to talk, um, to hear um, the workings of God in his life and in many, many ways over the years and currently, and to hear his burden for... uh, the conservative people and uh, hear about how he and his wife engage in ministering to the conservative people Um, it was good news from a far country without doubt it was tremendously encouraging Uh, I uh, yeah To just know, to just, to just realize God's, God's faithfulness, um, to realize that in that culture there's a, there's some people that know the Lord. They know Him personally. They're walking with Him day by day and, uh, and not ashamed of it. It was good news from a far country. I went away from there. I went away thrilled, to say the least. Um, so, praise God. God is good. <clears throat> Alright, so I guess qualifications for a deacon. We find our scripture in First Timothy this morning. And you can turn there, we'll probably stick to that pretty closely, 1 Timothy chapter 3, and maybe we could, uh, if you're able, maybe we could stand together and uh, just have a word of prayer and seek God's blessing in this part of the service. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for this assembly. Thank you for each one that is here. And thank you for those who have a desire to be here and are not able for various reasons. Lord, ask a blessing on all. And as we again look into your word, as we look at a subject that is uh, pertinent to us right now. As we are contemplating and praying and and uh, planning and preparing to call a brother to a responsibility of a deacon among us, we recognize how much we need you in all these things and ask you, Father, to walk us through, it, through this uh, process. And Lord, if there is some little ways that uh, the things that we look at this morning in the qualifications that Paul passed on to Timothy, that as we reflect on those things that uh, if there's anything there that could be helpful in guiding our hearts, we pray that you would uh, use it in that way. And Lord, we do pray uh, you know our needs uh, as we as a congregation, and the desire that we have to see a brother called forth into that place of responsibility. We pray, God, guide us, bring us out to a fruitful end in that, and Lord, uh, we just look to you, uh, and this morning as we again stand before your people, ask your blessing, your spirit, things that I say would not be my own thoughts, but they would be. Uh, meditations from the word, from your word. <clears throat> so bless us, Father, today, each one of us we ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> All right, I am going to begin reading in... Uh, Chapter 3 of First Timothy, I'm going to begin in verse 6, and maybe before I start, I would tell you why I'm starting in verse 6. So the scripture gives us the qualifications of a bishop, or as we more commonly, the term we more commonly use, that of an elder, and then it switches in verse 8 and says, likewise, must the deacons and and it goes into the deacons however we have the word likewise there and so we we have to reflect just a little bit as to why that word is there and what is he uh, giving us a what is he referring us back to and I would uh, say that we will go back as far as verse six as the rest of the qualifications for a bishop as they're given prior to verse 6 are very much uh, uh, similar qualifications are given later in this context for a deacon. However, verse 6 and 7 are not uh, not noted at all later in the scripture. So we're going to... In light of that word, likewise, we're going to draw some comments from verse 6 and 7 as well. So, beginning in verse 6. Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience, and let these also first be proved, then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanders, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husband of one wife, ruling their children in their own houses well, for they that have used the office of a deacon well, they that have used the office of a deacon well, purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. All right, and that kind of brings uh, is kind of the end of the qualifications. Uh, he uh, makes a comment about writing these things. hoping to come shortly to see him. And uh, so, the qualifications of a deacon. So we go back to verse 6 and uh, begin to consider some things there. Uh, not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation, into the condemnation of the devil. Um, of course, the word novice means newly come to the faith. Um, someone that's a new believer, new Christian, fairly new uh in uh in the faith. You know, in uh I, I said this before, I think back I'm not sure if it was in those other messages I preached or not, but you know, it's it's a fact that Paul himself was not uh I'm going to say, officially in ministry for a number of years after his conversion. Uh, in fact, let's, uh, uh, I'll just give you the years. So, based on, uh, and I use the chronological Bible to uh, get these years, based on that, it's Paul's conversion was uh, somewhere right about AD 37, when Paul was converted. Um, and just of note, it uh, indicates that uh, Peter was uh, sent to uh, the uh, the Gentiles with the gospel in AD 41, uh, which is, I think, is an interesting note because we know that. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. And yet, when the Gentiles first got the, uh, uh, when the, when the, uh, the gospel was first brought to the Gentiles, it was not brought by Peter, or not brought by Paul, even though Paul was already converted a few years. Uh, so we have AD 37 to AD 41, that's about four years but uh in in Acts chapter ten, when uh Cornelius was given his vision and sent for uh, and uh he sent for Peter and Peter was as you remember he was uh uh sleeping and he had this vision and he was hungry and this whole sheet of animals unclean and clean and everything together came down and and God was using that to open peter's uh eyes and heart to uh, what was uh, just before him in bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. And so when that call came, when that need was, uh, uh, came, God sent Peter, not Paul, even though Paul was already a Christian. However, Paul's ministry did begin in uh, in AD 45 is where Paul was officially sent out um as uh oh let's see <clears throat> and that was in Acts chapter 13 where and that doesn't mean that Paul wasn't engaging in in some level of ministry uh we do see in Acts chapter 12 I think I had noticed that uh, Oh, I'm not sure if I can lay my eyes on it now, but but they had sent for Paul and brought him, I believe it might have been, to uh, Antioch. Don't see those exact words at the moment. So Paul was engaging in ministry some, but in Acts chapter 13 is where the Holy Ghost uh, spoke to the church and said, Separate unto me Paul and Barnabas and... Uh, and that is where Paul begins his first missionary journey, begins his church planting ministry, and uh, all those things. And that was about uh, from 37 to 45. So we've got about uh, eight, close to eight years in there from the time he was converted till he actually took on his official, uh, he was sent forth. Uh, So just of interest, just of note, as we think about this, not a novice, (coughs) not someone that is new to the faith. And I don't know how they did all of that in the early church because they were all new to the faith (laughs) in those early days. Uh, And yet uh, we also know that uh, um, in one of the. On one of Paul's journeys, I remember making those comments in the earlier messages where they had uh, they had been journeying and preaching and church planting, and then they, uh, they came to a certain point, and then they started retracing their steps and visiting the churches they had visited earlier. And one of the comments it makes there, as they retraced their steps, they were ordaining then elders in the churches as they went which uh, we don't know exactly how much time elapsed, but the church was planned They moved on. They got to, as far as they were going to go in their journeys, they re- began to uh, retrace their steps. And, you know, was it a year? Was it a half a year? Was it a couple years? I don't, I, I didn't take the time to search any of that out. But then on their way back, they are, are ordaining some elders as they go. So, they didn't do it exactly right when the church was planted, but they did come back through. And and so there was at least a little bit of time. <clears throat> Anyhow, I'm not sure if this point is real pertinent to us or not. Uh, someone new in the faith, it's a point that the scripture gives us. Uh, I don't know that you'd necessarily put years on it, but... Uh, I would say it would probably seem wise that, uh, or maybe I should say it would seem unwise to call someone to a place of leadership responsibility if they've been a Christian for less than five years. Uh, I would tend to think that would seem unwise. Uh, But I don't know that we're real wise to put a solid hard number to it either. Just give us things to think about. So, not a novice. Um, and I suppose the same thought could be, uh, the same I concept could be, uh, and it will actually come up a little later, that of someone who might be pretty new to, to, to the fellowship. And we'll actually talk a little bit more about that in uh, a later point. So, I think we'll move on. Um, Going back to our text in first Timothy 3, it says, verse 7, Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without uh, a good testimony. Our second point, uh, a, the individual needs to have a good testimony uh, in his community, among his uh, w- people he works with, among the uh, uh, his yeah a testimony of integrity integrity in business integrity in in relating to people uh, especially not a testimony of being a person who is shrewd in business or hard to deal with or a hard bargain driver um, should be a testimony that is is uh, clear testimony of that people don't have fault against him that uh, he's a man of integrity he 's a man of that his faith is demonstrated by his um, everyday life, how he lives, how he conducts himself, how he relates to people how he um, it says in this particular scripture, it says, "Of them that are without someone asks me what well, do you go and uh out to the unbelieving world and ask questions <laughs> I don't think you necessarily have to do that i think uh, I think a testimony you know testimonies do follow people around you." If you're a, a hard bargain driver, you're a shrewd person, you're a person that's uh, selfish in your business dealings, you're a person that's... Uh, it, if, you, if you're around a person for a number of years, those things show up. Those things are they're evident. Um, they're not hidden. So I don't think it's that we have to go search for them, but does, I think it does mean that if we are aware of things, it should put flags up in our in our minds and hearts. Um, That this individual is is not uh, portraying the best character in how he relates to people in the community and business and all those kind of things. (coughs) So, a good report of them that are without. Not a novice and one that is of a good report to them that are without. All right. Moving ahead, then, uh, continuing in verse eight. Likewise, must the deacon be grave? And maybe we, yeah, we just we'll stop there. Uh, deacon must be grave. The word grave. Um, let me let me just let me draw our attention to a couple other verses, and we'll make a few comments in Titus. Chapter two, verse two. Scripture tells us that the that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, and in patience. And there we have the word grave again. And uh, we also have that word uh, in chapter yeah in chapter two, verse six and seven. Uh, talking uh, to the young men, likewise, exhort to be sober minded in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity. And there we have the word gravity. So, the word gravity, how grave, how do we describe that word? Um, in the 1828 dictionary, uh, Webster's dictionary, one of the definitions is this. It's to be solemn, sober, serious, as opposed to being gay, light, and uh, jovial. As a man of grave deportment or grave character, uh, another, uh, another of the definitions is being of weight or of a serious character, uh, And I I know, well, let me me read this yet in contrast. We have Ephesians 5, verse 4. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. So, there we have kind of a contrasting verse. Uh, Particularly, I think, of the jesting. We have uh, foolish talking and jesting. Uh, a, A person who is light in their, has uh, their, you, you, all, you all understand when we talk about jesting, you know, we generally don't see a person who is often jesting. We don't see him as a person with depth, do we? We see him more as a person who is surface and light. And, uh, and we don't see him as a person who has some depth to them. And I think that's some of what is coming out in this uh, in this word "grave," uh, in that a person has 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 depth, and there's a there's a uh, a sobriety about them, as opposed to a lightness, a ferality, a uh, uh, jesting would be another way that that kind of character tends to show itself—light-hearted, uh, surface—as uh, opposed to someone who is of a of a more serious character, ha- portrays more of a depth of character. Um, so, not uh, so the person uh, you're looking as you consider, you're wanting to consider. Uh, that uh, character quality being uh, a bit more grave. I don't, I don't think that means a person is long faced and and doesn't crack a smile and all those kind of things. I don't think it's referring to that at all, but just a the general demeanor of the person, which really indicates the depth of their uh, of their person character, being that of more grave and sober as opposed to being light-hearted and frivolous. Maybe that's the word I'm looking for. <clears throat> Alright, so grave. You must be grave. And then do- not double-tongued. Our next point, not double-tongued simply uh, means telling a different story. Uh, double-tongued, double in speech, saying one thing to one person, saying One thing to one person, another thing to another person, with the intent to deceive. Uh, James 3.10 tells us, Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing, my brethren, these things ought not so to be. So, not double-tongued. The person that you would call to this kind of responsibility... Uh, shouldn't have the testimony of being a double-tongued person, saying different. The stories don't hold out. He says different things to this person as to that person, or you know, uh, should always it should be consistency there, and that the story, you know, if, if there's an account given of something, it doesn't change based on who the person's talking to. That there's that kind of consistency in the person's life not double-tongued. All right, we'll just keep moving right along. We have a number of points to consider. Not given too much wine. Um, We already talked about wine this morning. Um, And I, I realize this... Point is probably not as pertinent even today in, in our midst as it would have been in years gone by uh, when wine was probably used more as a uh, medicine and uh, the people added, had it in their houses because they never knew when those uh, medical needs would come up and they used those things and and uh, if you had those things around, and just like we have it in our day with, uh, with uh, the available technologies that we have, those things become a stumbling block to some. When they had uh, wine in their houses, it probably became a stumbling block to some. And they made it clear that uh, you weren't to call someone to leadership who had not learned how to use that wine in its right way, and not misuse it where there was abuse of wine. Not, too, not given to much wine, uh, Timothy, um, Paul exhorted uh, Timothy to, at one point to drink no longer water but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your often infirmities. So we recognize that the medicinal use that they had for it. But for leadership responsibilities, there needed to be um, maturity and uh, and uh, self uh, self control i guess would be the word a person who had learned uh, and proven by their life that they they had control of those things and didn't abuse wine <clears throat> Goes on to the next point: not greedy of filthy lucre, uh, eager, eager for base gain, greedy for money, uh, greedy for gain. You know, how do we discern whether a person is greedy for money? You know, speech. I think of two things: uh, speech and actions will often indicate a person's love or lack of love for money. Uh, A person's speech, how he talks about money, uh, will often indicate what place it holds in his heart. There's a lot of focus on money, a lot of focus on uh, money or the lack of money. uh, A lot of focus on... uh, the ability to earn or the uh, lack of ability to earn or whatever, you know, just it's it's kind of in the spotlight of a person's life and discussions and talk. Uh, can be an unhealthy focus. And then, of course, you have actions, which would be that of uh being hard to deal with in business, driving hard bargains, taking advantage of people in business dealings and all those kind of things uh, because the person desires gain. So not greedy of filthy lucre, not a person who has uh, his heart set on, on money and trying to do everything he can to earn as much as he can in every way that he can and all those kind of things. Doesn't mean we don't take responsibility. I think that was talked about this morning as well. You know, working, doing a good day's work, uh, doing an honest day's work, doing honest business. Uh, if you're in a business, you know, all those kind of things. But it it really has its roots in our heart and what is the posture of our heart regarding uh, money. And so forth <clears throat> so not one that is greedy of of money and gain, all right, moving on holding the holding the mystery of the of the faith in a pure conscience. Of course, the word "holding" gives us the idea of possessing something uh, there's uh, several other verses in scripture that uh, give a similar thought. First Timothy 1:5, now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. First Timothy 1:19, holding faith and a good conscience which some have having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck. <clears throat> So holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. Uh, in these other verses that we read, they talk about faith and a pure conscience, faith in a good conscience, uh, and faith unfeigned. You know, having faith, uh, like First uh, Timothy one five, the end of the commandment or the purpose of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and faith unfeigned. Basically, referring to faith being our um, the posture of our heart toward God and uh, uh, charity being the posture of our heart toward our fellow man and having a conscience that is clear on both of those aspects toward God and toward man Um, and having a and having a clear conscience does that mean that a person has has or does not do anything wrong I think we would all have to agree that uh, we we don't find ourselves to be exactly perfect? However, it does mean that a person is stays up to date in his life. When there are issues, when there are failures, when there are wrongs, he deals with them. He repents. He he uh, uh, clears his conscience when uh, there are issues that come up. Maintains a clear conscience. Keeps his accounts up to date. So a pure conscience. Holding the faith in a pure conscience. Walking and keeping his conscience pure. And then in verse 10 he says. And let these also first be proved. And then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. You know, proved gives the idea of of uh, uh, testing, examining, scrutinizing to see whether it's genuine or not, um, to recognize as genuine after examination, to approve, to deem worthy, worthy. You know there's uh, probably few ways to prove of uh, someone, and particularly to prove their life than to simply see and observe their life they live. Uh, there's probably few other ways in which to actually prove someone, uh, but to exa- observe and see them, live life and know if they actually walk in the way the scripture indicates. And so time is a factor here. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, probably not always, uh, probably not a wise thing to place someone in place of leadership responsibility who is fairly new to a congregation. Because you probably don't know them extremely well yet. Um, so that's a thing, uh, a factor to consider in light of this particular scripture. Um, let these first be proved and and uh, proving is—I'm not sure how else to have that manifested other than a, a life and living and doing life—and you see how they do life, and you see how they respond in in life's journey, and uh, and out of that you uh, you get a a picture of uh, and you get an insight into the person's life. <clears throat> So time is an important factor there. And again, I'm not, uh, I'm not here to put, you know, years on it and hard, li- hard lines, but something to think about in our hearts and minds as we walk through these kind of things. Alright, and then, and we're just going to follow the scripture here. There's a few more comments in a few later verses, but he shifts the focus to the, in verse 12, to the, the deacon's wife. Let the deacons, uh, excuse me, I missed verse 11. Let the, uh, even, uh, verse 11 is the one I'm wanting. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, and faithful in all things. Uh, take a few minutes to look at that. Uh, so the deacon's wife. Again, we have the word grave, which is the same word that we had earlier. Grave, uh, same meaning, that of being of a more serious character as opposed to a light and frivolous character in um, personality. A depth of character. So grave. And then, not slanders, as it says here. And that is an interesting word. Um, not slanders. We have... Uh, Again, in Titus, we have another scripture that uh, gives some uh, similar thoughts. Titus 2, verse 3. The aged women likewise that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers. And that's uh, the same word there, not false accusers, not slanderers, uh, not given too much wine and teachers of good things. In Titus 2, 3, an admonition to the older women. And we have the word false accusers there. Uh, same Greek word as the word slanders in uh, this uh, text here. And the word, interestingly enough, it's di- diabolus, which uh, it's the same word. In fact, it's used 35 times in scripture. It's translated devil. 35 times that Greek word is translated devil. And in this context, it's translated slander. And in another context, it's, uh, in uh, in the uh, Titus 2, 3 context, it's translated false accusers. That's kind of a sobering word, kind of a sobering word. Uh, Charge, I guess you would say, not, uh, not slanderers, not false accusers. The devil is known as the accuser of the brethren, uh, and apparently, when we engage in accusing and particularly false accusing, we are engaging in the devil's work, and. Uh, that's pretty serious business <clears throat> one of the definitions a uh, simply says it this way is metaphorically applied to a man who by opposing the cause of god may be said to act the part of the devil or to side with him so in uh, when we step out of uh, rank in that area of accusing or slandering, uh, we are stepping out of God's rank and we're stepping or, or we're uh, contributing to the devil's objectives when we do that. So, a serious thing. As we consider, um, and in this particular case it's, talking to the, about the deacon's wife. And uh, definitely, definitely something to consider as we consider calling a brother to that responsibility is that uh, his wife does meet this criteria that is given here of uh, these few points. His wife should not be slanderous, should not be cutting people up with her tongue should not be free, too free with her opinions about things, and too free in sharing information that should actually be private. Uh, those are things to consider because uh, ministry and and, uh, and the uh, work of a deacon is going to involve a lot of information about people and about problems about situations and and a husband, a deacon husband, will want to be able to share with his wife, and he will want it to be confidential, and he will want it to be uh, safe, safe place <clears throat> to share. So, Proverbs thirty-one twenty-six gives us a good example of a wife. She openeth her mouth with wisdom. And in her tongue is the law of kindness, as opposed to the other, slandering. She openeth her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. And then we have the word sober here yet. Sober. Sober sober gives us the idea of course we know when we think about sober we think about uh, someone of course uh, when you think about alcohol and someone is under the influence of alcohol they're not sober and when they're not sober there's a lot of things that happen in their uh, life their their discernment uh is off their their perception is off their yeah, a lot of things are off when a person isn't sober. In this context, when we think about sober, and I know it's not necessarily talking about alcohol, but we can think about it in that in that way, that uh, the results of a person who is sober is that the person is, is watchful, is vigilant, is circumspect, is attentive to discovering and avoiding danger, or to provide safety. So when the person is sober they're more aware and more discerning and more careful and that's a picture that we get as opposed to all those things being missing so sober a person who is aware uh, aware of of their surroundings of life and of its complexities and of its uh uh and, and and aware of how decisions affect life and how decisions affect uh, yourself and your family and the church and all those kind of things. A person who is aware, who is discerning, who is careful, sober. And again, still talking about the deacon's wife. And then a faithful in all things. Uh, kind of a general statement. Faithful in all things. Faithful in their walk with the Lord, faithful in supporting her husband, faithful in supporting uh, brotherhood, faithful, uh, yeah, just all around in relationships, in, uh, in responsibilities. Is this thing working? Are you using it? No. no. Then I'll get rid of it. It's being a nuisance. Um, so faithful in all things and I guess we can decide what the all things are Uh, definitely definitely a call I think it again I think it goes back to the idea of of uh, uh, being of a good report you know the person has a good report a good report of their life a good report of their conduct a good report of how they relate to 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 Life, husband, children, church brothers and sisters, and all those kind of things. They have a good report, faithful in uh, supporting. All right, next point. Uh, going back to the deacon himself, uh, verse twelve. Let the deacons be the husband of one wife, ruling their children and their house as well. Uh, a, and this I, I simply titled this his family life he's uh, he loves his wife has a good relationship with his wife he's a one-woman man keeps his heart his eyes and his affections for his wife alone um, he walks strives to walk in purity uh, he's he's a man of integrity as it relates to um, his, yeah, life and his wife and his relationship there. Man of integrity. And he relates well to his children. You know, it says here that uh, one ruling their children in their own houses well. And, uh, you know, ruling ruling well is not just about keeping his children walking the line. <laughs> about keeping his children in... In uh, all the uh, codes of conduct, ruling well is about relating well to his children and guiding their lives while maintaining a healthy relationship with them. Uh, So that's part of uh, part of ruling well, that uh, he's a family man, loves his children, loves to uh, uh, relate to them and uh thinking about some of my conversation yesterday, and the individual that I was speaking to referred to, and I think it was actually a if I remember and understood him correctly, it was actually a flesh brother of his who whose focus was money and uh, and he Missed his relationship with his children. He missed it, and is and there and it was missing. And and uh, just the sadness of that. And uh, this is what we're looking at here: uh, a person who relates well to his children and his family. He has time for them. He engages with them. He he uh, does life with them. <clears throat> They're part of his life and his uh, focus. Family. Family life. Man of integrity in his family. And then verse 13 yet. We'll wrap it up with that. For they that have used or exercised the office of a deacon well. They that have exercised the office of a deacon well. Purchased to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. I think the what we're seeing there is simply that of uh, a person who functions well in this responsibility as a deacon uh, it it uh, it gains him something it gains him a place of confidence, it gains him a place of opportunity uh, in being having a place of influence in his calling, uh, a place of where His life uh, becomes a life of influence as he functions well in that spot. Um, Talks about boldness here, boldness in the faith. That uh, I guess maybe that's a side blessing and benefit as he functions well in that spot that God blesses him with uh, with continued grace and boldness to, to function in ministry. And so, yeah, there's, uh, there's a good bit there about uh, the qualifications and, and things to consider as we look at the uh, responsibility and look at calling a brother forward to that responsibility. I guess I would just like to close by encouraging us to continue in prayer about it. Uh, pray specifically that God would show you whom he has who who, who he has prepared for the responsibility um, I think God already knows his plan we just need to discern that plan we just need to fall in place with him so I want to encourage us to be much in prayer about that and uh We'll trust God to show us the way and show us who He is uh, calling. Let's uh, let's again close with prayer. Father, thank You. Thank You that uh, we can be in a place like this where uh, we have confidence. There are brethren among us who You have prepared. And uh, we are... Again, asking that you would, by your grace, by your divine ways, your mysterious ways, you would work in all of our hearts to show us, to lead us, to uh, make known unto us the individual whom you would desire to put in this responsibility. You know our plans. You know our uh, Procedures that we have agreed together as brethren, and we submit that all to you. And we just say, do it your way, Lord, however you wish. And so, Father, again, pray that uh, you would bless and continue to uh, build this congregation spiritually, build us in the depth, uh, in our depth with you to uh, continue to grow Continue to uh, mature in our walk. Continue to uh, find you precious in our lives. Continue to be faithful to you. So again, Father, we just commit these things to you. May your kingdom come. May your will be done in earth, even as it is done in heaven. For we ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen.